TLC. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, I got a couple of uh, uh, my GV football boys that are in here this morning. Uh, they won a double overtime thriller last night. I told them I would have much preferred like a uh, early uh, boring blowout win rather than keeping me up till midnight. But you know, it's all good. And a shout out to uh, Davenport, Davenport football also. Won yesterday as well. So I <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. That was fantastic. Uh, and then maybe uh, next year we'll get to celebrate some, uh, some, some Calvin football as well, right? We got, all right, all right, all right. Now I got to mention all the sports, volleyball, soccer, we, you guys are all doing great. You're all doing great. Lacrosse. Hey! See, when you cheer that loud, you get shout outs more often. Like, that's that's going to that's, that's work. Um, so... Uh, let me pray for us as we step into uh, a brand new series that I'm very excited about. So would you pray with me? Father God, thanks for just our, uh, the privilege we have um, of being here in this building. Uh, Jesus, we know that uh, a building is not a church. It's the people that gather together are the church. Uh, but Jesus, you said that when your people gather together, uh, we are your body. And you promise that when your body gathers together, that you, Jesus, as the head of your body, will be uniquely present with us. And so this morning, we just recognize that you're here. Jesus, we admit that we bring all kinds of worries and thoughts and uh, things with us into our gathering. We've got all the stuff from the outside world. And, and Jesus, we know that you care about that stuff. But right now, in this moment, we just want to try to lay it aside. To set, set those worries, those anxieties, those tasks just down so that, we can, so that we can hear from you. We give you permission to speak this morning. We desire it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. So... Uh, I'm 49 years old. When I was uh, 15, that's when Jesus really captured my heart. It wasn't a moment, it was really the, the course of a few months. Some beautiful, grace-given people that God brought into my life. And uh, I really did start to pretty radically be transformed from who I was to where I was going. That's 34 years ago. Longer than most of y'all been alive. I've been trying to follow Jesus. And, and in fact, I went off to college. I saw some of my like greatest like growth in Christ kind of the end of high school and really through college. I went to a, a school where I got to study the Bible, that was my major. That's what my bachelor's was in. After college, I went to seminary. After that, a PhD program, all so that I could learn more how to understand God's word and apply it to my life and, and live it out. 
I've been in full-time ministry. This will be, this fall, starts my 28th year as a pastor. So you'd think I probably kind of got this whole Christian life thing down pat, right? I mean, that would be my expectation. To be honest, it is my expectation. Like, I should have it pretty well locked in now. Like, my growth in Christ should be pretty consistent and up and to the right. But it's not. At least not what I think it ought to be. And and most of my friends that have been following Jesus for a long time, they feel the same way. Now, Now, it doesn't... I'm not saying that I don't believe in Jesus. I very much do. I'm not saying that Jesus hasn't transformed my life in some very real ways, done some things that I never would have expected him to do. He absolutely has. But after 28 years of being a pastor, after degrees where I've studied the Bible and how to know him and 34 years of trying to follow after him, I just look at my life sometimes and I feel like, man, I... Shouldn't I be further along, though? Do you ever feel that way? Uh, Peter, who was maybe one of Jesus' favorite disciples, some days, other days, he annoyed Jesus to no end, but Peter wrote a couple of letters. This is the same Peter that promised he would die for Christ, and then just a couple hours later was denying that he even knew him, that guy. The Peter that was willing to get out of the boat and walk on water until he realized there was waves, and then he started to sink, that guy. He wrote a letter near the end of his life. And he says in 2 Peter chapter 3.18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We know we're supposed to be growing, right? Every single one of us, if you follow Jesus, you know you're supposed to be growing. Stuff's supposed to be shifting and changing and transforming. You could probably even think back on certain seasons in your life when that was happening. For, for me, man, during college, just felt like I was growing so I was so passionate about Jesus and hungry to know him. Uh, we're going to have a couple of moments uh, in the service today where I'm going to ask you to interact with the people that you're sitting close by, all right? Uh, If you don't want to, you can just look at them and say pass, all right? Everybody gets a pass. But here's what I'd like you to do, Uh, challenge by choice, all right? I want you to share with the person next to you, close to you, a time, a season in your life where you really were like hungry for Jesus, when you were really growing in your faith. Go ahead and just share what was that time like, when was it? Go ahead and turn and share that with the person next to you. Okay, so I'm going to ask you another question. You do not need to share this with the person next to you. This is just like you and God right now. But I want you just to, in this time of your life, right here, September 10, is that 10th, I think, today? Scale of 1 to 10, what's your spiritual life look like? How are you growing or not growing? your spiritual hunger. 
And I just want you to give yourself a number. This is just between you and God. You're not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to ask you to hold up fingers or anything like that. Where is your spiritual life? One to ten. Ten, you're on fire. Couldn't get better. You're growing leaps and bounds, learning new things, obeying. Oh, this is awesome. One, you're not even sure if Jesus is, like, real. You ain't seeing anything shift, change. Where are you at? You got your number? When I think about that question, and I have a lot over the last 34 years, but I will tell you, I probably had as many conversations in my own head about that question in the last 10 years than I even did the previous 14 or 24. I'm good at the maths. Because I know as a pastor, as somebody who really does love Jesus, that my life should be going up and to the right as far as my growth in Christ. But there are times when I'm just like flat out wondering, man, God, it feels like I've plateaued. Are you still transforming me? Do you really work? I've wondered that question at times. Because I'm, when I'm honest and, and, and actually look inside, there's times that I wonder, man, why, why do I still have so much failure? Things that I find myself falling into with sin or sin that explodes out of me in frustration or anger at times. Why, why do I still have worry and, and, and anxiety? Why are there still seasons or spaces where it still feels empty? And the thing that gives me some comfort is I know I'm not alone. My good friends who also love Jesus, who really have seen him do things in their life, there are moments when they ask those same questions. And my guess is you have as well. Can Jesus actually change me, change you? Now, I want to answer that question truthfully with a resounding yes. I know he can because I've seen it. I'm not the man I would be if I had never found Jesus, or maybe better said, if he had never found me. I know that change is possible. I've, I've experienced it. But I also know that following Jesus in the Christian life isn't a perfect line that starts here and works its way up. There are ebbs and flows to it. But Satan wants to sometimes trip us up, make us think that Jesus isn't actually real, that he's not actually able and capable of doing anything, that he doesn't really make a difference in our lives. And friends, that's what this series is going to be all about. This series over the next eight weeks is for anybody, anybody that wants to grow in Christ, but it's especially for people who are struggling, who are tired, maybe even on the brink of giving up. Can we really change? Do we really change? Friends, I promise you the answer is absolutely yes, but I'm not convinced that that's the right question to ask. I think the better question to ask is how do we change? How do we change? Now, I don't know what kind of a tradition you grew up in. You might have grown up going to church all the time, like I did. You might have grown up never going to church, or, you know, maybe just for a holiday or something. 
Different church traditions, though, kind of think about it a little bit differently. Some are like, yo, it's about what you know. You got to learn more about Christ, about God, about the Bible, about the stories. Like you got to learn and learn and learn more, and that's how you're going to change. Now, learning about the Bible and the stories and Jesus, yeah, that matters and that's important, but learning is not the same as change. Others are like, no, it's about obedience. Like you got to do the right things, check the right boxes, make sure that you do X, Y, and Z, don't do A, B, and C, and if you will just obey, then that's actually how you'll change. Obedience is absolutely necessary to change, but simple obedience does not change the very thing that Jesus desires to change, which is the true self, not just the outward self. Other traditions are like, man, you got to experience God more. Like you can have deeper, better, more powerful experiences of God. That's how you're going to change. Experience doesn't change you by itself. Experience matters. It's necessary. We are holistic beings, all right? What we do with our bodies, what we think with our minds, and what we feel with our hearts, all of those things matter, but those things in and of themselves are not going to bring about the kind of change that Jesus promised, a, a life and life to the full. Dane Ortland, who wrote a book, which is really the basis of our series. In fact, I forgot to tell the first service, so I'm going to tell you all right now so I don't forget. We have these books available. We just bought them off Amazon. You can go buy it off Amazon. We paid 15 bucks. You can buy it from us for 15 bucks today if you want to, or you can order your own. But I would encourage you to follow along with us as we walk through this book. Uh, Dane says this, growing in Christ is not centrally improving or adding or experiencing, but deepening. Implicit in the notion of deepening is that you already have what you need. Christian growth is bringing what you do and say and even feel into line with what, in fact, you already are. Take a second and just swallow that in again. Christian growth is bringing what you do and say and even feel into line with what, in fact, you already are. If you've given your life to Christ, if you have said yes to his death and resurrection on your behalf, if you've invited him in, asked him to forgive your sins, to take over your life, if you've had that experience, made that decision, then Jesus has declared you to be what you already are. Theologians call this the already not yet. You're like, yo, 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 I know he said that I'm holy. I know that he said that I'm set up, that I'm free. I know that he said all this stuff, that I've been raised from death to life, but man, I don't feel it. I don't always see it. Well, welcome to the real world. The Bible talks about this a lot. That there is a process that we are walking through. And this is why I wanted to do this series. This is why I wanted to talk through this over the next eight weeks. I can't actually wait for what we've got coming up. But before we do, I want to say three things about this series that I think are really important. Number one, you should not feel hurried in this process. We are complicated sinners, Ortland says. Sometimes we take two steps forward and three steps back. We need time. Be patient with yourself. 
A sense of urgency, yes, but a sense of hurry, no. Overnight transformations are the exception, not the norm. Slow change is still real change. Oh, friends, hear that again. And it's the normal way that God deals with us. Take your time. Secondly, as we move into this series, open your heart to the possibility of real change in your life. Maybe you're like me. You ain't a spring chicken anymore. And you look back and you think, man, after all this time, shouldn't I have this down better? And what I think Satan often loves to do is to point out, oh, man, you should be way, way better. If Jesus was real, you'd be better. And Jesus is like, don't try to lie to my son. Don't try to lie to my brother. Don't try to lie to my friend. Jesus wants you to know that slow change is still real change. And he is not done with you yet. Look what Portland says. He says, one of the devil's great victories is to flood our hearts with a sense of futility. Perhaps his greatest victory in your life is not a sin you are habitually committing, but simply a sense of helplessness as to real growth. Do not fall prey to the lie. You can, you will, you are growing. In fact, quite honestly, if you could see your life from God's perspective, I can guarantee that he would point out all kinds of different things ways that he has already begun to shape you and remake you, that you are not the person you were going to be. Now, we tend to notice all the other glaring things that are like, yeah, yeah, but that ain't right yet. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. I'm very aware. But we're going to do this together. And the third thing that I want you to know as we teach through this series is that you're being taught by a fellow patient, not a doctor. I'm teaching you this series for myself as much as I am for you, <laughs> maybe even more for myself. I, I'm, I'm in the seat listening to it just like you are. I need this too. Jesus is not done with me. He's not done with any of us. Together, we will continue to focus our minds, our hearts, our lives on deepening ourselves in Christ not just learning some more stuff or having a greater experience or being better at obeying. All these things matter. They are all important. I'm not diminishing or downplaying them. I'm simply saying that real change doesn't happen by focusing on one of those three things. Real change happens when we focus on the person of Jesus. So there's two things that I'd like to be able to talk about uh, this morning. And they're both about Jesus, and it is simply this. The real Jesus is bigger than you could ever imagine, and he is closer than you could ever dare believe. The real Jesus is bigger than you could even imagine, and he is closer than you could even dare believe. And so I want to take those two things, and I want to look at them this morning. He is bigger than you could ever imagine. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. We read these words. This is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And he says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. He's like, no, I'm a nobody, man. God just plucked me out. I don't deserve this, he's saying. He says, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the what? The what? 
boundless riches of Christ. The boundless riches. Now, uh, the word in the Greek is hard to like translate into an English word. And so uh, if you're reading out of the NIV, like we just did up on the screen, you see that the word is boundless riches. If you have the ESV, they use a different word. They say the unsearchable riches. And if you have the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says the endless riches. Three different words because we're having a hard time trying to convey what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, look, Jesus is so big, vast. Who he is is so beautiful and rich and valuable that if you were to start mining Jesus, you'd never find all the treasure. If you were to start digging to the bottom of Jesus, you'd never hit bottom. It's kind of like when I took my kids a few years back when they were younger, the first time we ever did a spring break trip, we drove down uh, to Florida, and I let them splash around that week in the ocean. And if you were to ask my kids, do you know about the ocean? They would be like, yeah, the ocean's awesome. Like I splashed around in it. It was kind of warm and fun. Do my kids really know the ocean? <laughs> no. They know just a little piece of it. A beautiful piece, an important piece, but they don't understand the power of the ocean, the depth of the ocean, the beauty of the ocean, the width of the ocean, the so like I think way too often we wind up doing that with Jesus. Flip over to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, um, we've got John. And he is seeing a vision that Christ has given him near the end of his life. And he's going to write to uh, what he has heard and learned to these seven churches that he has a relationship with. All right? So you're going to see something about some lampstands. That's like the pastors of the churches are metaphorically called lampstands. But he, he has this vision, and Jesus comes and talks to him. He's about to describe this Jesus that came and talked to him. This is verse 12, chapter 1. It says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. He's talking about the pastors of these seven churches. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe. That's a nice way of saying Jesus, son of man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Now... John is trying to describe a vision that is indescribable, all right? He's using metaphor to explain what he's seeing. And he's speaking of Jesus, and he describes him as having feet that are like on fire, bronze coming out of like the kiln, and eyes that are blazing like the sun, a, a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth. He's holding stars in his hand, and his face is so brilliant, it's like more powerful than the sun itself. And look what John says happened. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
when John comes in contact with Jesus in all of his glory, it's so overwhelming that he falls down on the ground as though he were dead. I don't know about you, but I, I think I have just a way too small view of Jesus. I think of Jesus a lot of times way too often, and I should know better, but I think of him like a firecracker. Like loud, kind of powerful, but also small enough that I can stick him in my pocket and walk around and take him out when I'm ready to let him go. And Jesus is like, man, I ain't a firecracker. I'm like a million atomic bombs, baby. You can't hold me back. You can't put me in your pocket. I'm so much bigger. Ortland says this. He says, have we unintentionally reduced Jesus to manageable, predictable proportions? Have we been looking at a junior varsity, decaffeinated, one-dimensional Jesus of our own making, thinking we're looking at the real Jesus? The more we begin to understand and unveil Jesus in all of his fullness, the more we will begin to be transformed from the inside out. There are three things, there's a lot of things, but I'm just going to talk about these three when we think about Jesus being bigger than we could ever imagine. Jesus is ruling, Jesus is saving, and Jesus is returning. Jesus is ruling, Matthew 28, 18. He said to the disciples and he says to you and I, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Look, Jesus isn't waiting to be in charge, okay? He ain't like Jordan Love sitting the bench for the Packers while that devil of a player, Aaron Rodgers, I'm a Bears fan, sorry, I just had to take that shot. He's not waiting for Rodgers to get traded, to go somewhere else, all right? He, he's right now in control. And it doesn't matter whether the world submits to his authority or believes in his authority. It does not diminish his authority. He is right now the one with all authority on earth and in heaven. And regardless of whether everybody else believes it or not has no bearing on its truth. He is supreme over everything. He is also saving. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, you can read it all, but there's a chunk in there where the Apostle Paul says, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. We aren't wounded, needing Jesus to come and help us out. You don't just have a boo-boo that you need Jesus to come and kiss and make better. He isn't just here to suture up a little wound that you have. He's not a pair of crutches for you to use until your ankle starts to feel better. You were dead, like stinky dead, like decomposing flesh dead, like you ain't had a breath in weeks dead, like buried in the ground dead, you were dead dead. You don't need somebody just to come and help you get up again because you fell down. You need somebody to come and resurrect you. Jesus is saving. That's what he does, that's who he is, and he's the only one that can. He's the first one to be resurrected from the dead in glory, and that's what he offers through his death and resurrection, to save you, not just be a little addition that you throw in your backpack of life to carry around. You can't, because you're dead without him. He is ruling, he is saving, and he is returning. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, you can read the whole section. But it says in there, the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Jesus is going to return. Scripture is clear. There is no, nothing holding Jesus back. We don't know when it's going to happen. All we know is that it's imminent. It could happen anymore. It could happen before we finish our service this morning. I hope he comes back. I can't wait for him to come back. I, I'll tell you, man, when I was growing up, especially like in college, I don't know, I, I like life. So I was like, ah, oh, if Jesus comes back, like, I'm sure that'll be great and all, but like, really, I, I wouldn't mind if he like, waits, because I'm enjoying, like, I like life. Not on that, but I wasn't married yet. I legit prayed, like, Lord, you can come back, just wait till after the honeymoon. <laughs> Might have prayed that a number of times. But the longer that you live on this earth, the more you will come into direct confrontation with the brokenness that sin has caused and the suffering that it brings. And at some point, you will come face to face with something that you can't fix, no matter how much money you have, no matter who you know. And when that time comes, you will long for Jesus to return. Because people you love you can't fix. And you will beg God for a Savior who will come and do the very thing that you know you can't, that only he can. Jesus is bigger than you could ever imagine. He is powerful. He is ruling right now. He is saving. He's the only one that can take dead things and breathe life into them. And he is returning. And when he returns, there will not be a single person on this earth that will care about the size of their bank account or how much toys they have at home. They won't care about their sneaker collection, regardless of how cool it is. It won't matter. Those things won't matter at all. All we will think to ourselves is, I'm so glad I knew him or I know him or I so wish that I would have. Jesus is bigger than we can imagine. But friends, he is also closer than you could ever dare believe. Closer than you could ever dare believe. The real Jesus befriends us. John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. That's wild. <laughs> I mean, seriously, like that's crazy. The one who rules, who saves, who is returning, he says, we're bros. He wants to hang out with me on Friday night. You see, there's an awful lot of you in here. You believe Jesus loves you, but you are not very confident that he likes you. John 15, 15, the real Jesus befriends he is closer than you can even dare believe. The real Jesus perseveres with us. John 13, 1 says he loved them to the end. Jesus does not give up on you. He will not stop loving you. If he was willing to die for you while you were his enemy, how much more do you think he's going to be with you and fight for you if you are now his brother and his friend? He won't stop. His love doesn't vacillate. He doesn't go back and forth. Jesus 
perseveres. The real Jesus also intercedes for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Praying, speaking to the Father on our behalf. Do you know that's Jesus' job now? He ain't just sitting up there chilling. He's working hard on my behalf and on your behalf. It's what he loves to do. It's what he's passionate about. He's up there talking to the Father like, oh, did you see what my, what my girl did? Oh, she needs this thing right now, Lord. Oh, man, she done messed up again. We saw that coming, though. It's all right. We're going to forgive her. That's what he intercedes. It's what he loves to do. Portland says this. He continues to work on our behalf. He goes to the uttermost, Scripture says, for us, advocating for us when no one else will, not even ourselves. And he says he is more committed to your growth in him than you are. Say that in your mind. Say that in your mind. He is more committed to my growth than I am. That's the Jesus we need to get to know more. And I want to close with one more thought. But before I do, I'm going to ask you to interact one last time. All right? If you had to describe the heart of Jesus in two words, what two words would you choose? I want you to tell your neighbor. If you had to describe the heart of Jesus in two words, what two words would you use? Go for it. All right, I'm going to pull this back together. So there's a lot of words we could probably use to describe Jesus' heart. Uh, Jesus actually tells us. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, I want to read it for you. It says, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble or lowly in heart. Jesus describes his own heart to us. And when he describes his heart, in fact, it's the only time in scripture that he does so. He says that he is gentle and lowly. Now, now, when the Bible talks about the word heart, they're talking about the central animating part of who we are as a person, okay? The heart for us as Americans is often like our emotions, okay? But for the ancient writers in the first century, the heart was like, it was your mind, it was your feelings, it was everything. It was like the central animating part. When Jesus says the central animating part of who I am as a person is that I am gentle and lowly. Ortland says this. Meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. And the point in saying that he is humble or lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. 
He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning. Friends, what I want ringing in your ears as we step out of this place today is the fact that Jesus is bigger than you could ever imagine, but closer than you could ever dare believe. Hear those words from Jesus himself. He is gentle and lowly. When you need something, there is no greater desire in his life than to meet that need for you. When you have fallen into sin and need rescue, the greatest joy he has is to forgive you. It is his favorite thing to do. I don't know where you've been the last few weeks, maybe the last few months, maybe the last few years. I don't know if your growth has just been skyrocketing up and to the right or if you feel like you plateaued or maybe you don't even remember what growth looks like. Hear this. Jesus is still with you and for you. He is gentle in how he handles us and he is lowly. He goes to the very depths. You can never get away from his love. That is the promise he gave us. And friends, you and me. I need to hear it. And you do too. And if we're going to grow as followers of Jesus, we are going to find that growth happening as we point our eyes towards him, pursuing him, the real Jesus, not no decaf, two-dimensional, watered-down, bite-sized Jesus, the real, full Jesus, who is bigger than we could ever imagine, but closer than we would dare believe. Let's pray. As you guys close your eyes, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, uh, I want you to, just think about something. If, if you're in a place right now where you know, you know that like it's time for a refresh, a restart. You've been, you've been away for too long and you just feel like, man, I have not been growing lately. Um, I'd like to be able to pray for you. And so if that's you this morning, just ain't nobody looking around, but just raise your hand up so I'll see it and I'll know to pray. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yep, I see you, yep, mm-hmm, back, yep, yep, thank you. Now, I can't talk about this Jesus who has changed my life and who literally does say bring some death to life without also giving that invitation. Look, there is no growing in Christ if you don't actually know Christ, if you've not given him your life. If today is the day that you want to say yes to Jesus, say like, man, I'm all in. I want to give you my life for the very first time. If you believe in his death and resurrection, you can invite him in right now. Just say, Jesus, come into my life. I give you permission. Take over. Today, I believe. With all the faith I can muster, today, I believe. If that's you this morning, you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time, I want to be able to pray for you too. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. You can raise your hand just real, doesn't have to be real high. I'll, I'll see you. Everybody, for the first time, just need to say yes. Step into that relationship. All right. Father God, you see the hands. God, you, 
more than that, you see the hearts. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to grow in you. I want to keep growing in you. Jesus, I pray for the folks that raised their hand. God, maybe some were a little bit too shy to do that, but God, you saw their heart. You know their desire. Jesus, meet them right now. You promised you would. We're going to keep stepping towards you, the real you, Jesus. We won't try to water you down. We won't try to cage you in. We couldn't anyway. God, we know that when we see you in all of your splendor, in all of your lowliness, that's when we begin to see our lives transformed. Capture our hearts, Jesus. Pray it in your beautiful and powerful name. Amen.